So, I have a question. Who knows the story of the prodigal son? Right? You're familiar with it? So, Jesus taught through sacred stories, you know, because when we put those teachings in a story format, most often we can relate to it, you know, and we can apply the teachings into our lives. So, let me just retell the story of the prodigal son briefly. Um, so once upon a time, there was a father, and he had a very prosperous estate. And he was living there with his two sons. And one morning, the younger son goes, Hey, Dad, it has been swell. I, you know, it's a, but I want to go off on my own. It's like I have my own ways. I want to go off on my own. And by the way, could I have my inheritance? Because that would really help me. So he gets his inheritance and takes off, as the story goes, to the far land. So he's pretty far from his father's home, doesn't even think about it. You know, he has a good time partying and spending his money till one day he realizes it's all gone. And his friends, who were quote-unquote good friends, aren't that good of friends anymore, and they only, you know, support him maybe a little bit temporarily. And then the economy goes down, so he can't even find a job. And he's scrambling, and one night he finds himself sleeping with the pigs. It's like one farmer was gracious enough to give him a place to sleep, but didn't even give him anything to eat. So he's eyeing the food the pigs are getting. I'm going like, wow, those potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the light bulb goes on. And he remembers his father. And he goes, he starts to reflect on his life. And he goes like, ooh, I, I made a few turns, wrong turns, but turns that weren't really serving me. And he kind of feels ashamed for it. You know, he doesn't, definitely doesn't feel whole. And he thinks back and he goes like, you know, the servants at my father's estate eat better than I do. And they have a better place to sleep than I have. So even though I can't expect my father to take me in as his son again, I could ask him if I could be a servant. In the meantime, the father at his estate hears that his son is traveling back home. And he is so excited because his son is coming home. So he's gathering gifts and he runs towards his son. You know, it's like didn't walk, didn't wait at home. He runs towards his son. And they meet and the son kneels and he says, Father, please forgive me. And I don't expect you to accept me as your son, but can I please be a servant in your home? And the father goes like, you know, you've always been my son, and you will always be my son, so please stand up. And he gives him the gifts of a cloak and shoes on his feet and a ring, and he says, come on home, I'm going to give a feast to celebrate that you came home. So preparations are made, and the older son, in the meantime, all these years, has been at this state, has been following the rules. You know what that's like? You follow the rules to the letter. It's like, you know, because if you just follow the rules, everything should be fine. And so he has been doing that. 
And he, you know, he sees this commotion going on and he asks what's going on. And, you know, the servant says, like, your younger brother is coming home and your father is giving a feast. That didn't go over so well. <laughs> he didn't really like that. So he decides not to go to the feast. And so the father obviously notices. So he goes to the older son and says, like, you know, what's up? And the older son says, I've been serving you all these years. I've been following your rules, I've done everything right, but you never threw me a feast for me and my friends. And the father says, you know, you have been here all these years, and everything that is mine has always been yours. Right? So that is the story. So when we go to the unity teachings, it's like, what does this story mean? So the father and the prosperous estate is God is. You know, we see it right there. God is. So God is, it represents his divine presence from which all has come. You know, it's amazing to think that there is this divine presence and, uh, that is of pure love, unconditional love. It's like Anita Murjani has a book, Dying to Be Me, and she describes her near-death experience. And she says she has this experience. She goes into this light, and she's just enveloped into this un by this unconditional love and acceptance. And she feels the layers of her own self-judgment fall away. And she realizes that that's the divine presence, you know, which is confirmed really by many sages and seers and mystics. You know, when they have that experience of divine love, it's like everything else falls away. So that is God is, that's the Father. So everything is created out of that. So that divine presence, that divine love is innate to us. We are that. We are an expression of that. And we get to co-create our experience of life. Now that co-create is really important because, I don't know about you, but I have so many times gone like, hey, I'll, I'll do this by myself. I don't need God. And I think <clears throat> throughout my life, I've been on this big trajectory of really coming back to my father's house. Irvin Seal, in, in his book, um, Learning to Live, he says we're really living the parable of the prodigal son over and over again in our life. You know, so the big story in my life is, you know, when I was a teenager, some things happened within my family that were quite tra traumatic, and my mom dealt with it. She was a devout uh, Calvinist, and her thing was like, this is God will, God's will. And she was comforted by that, but not me. It's a, <laughs> for me, it was a uh, if this is God's will, then I don't know when the next lightning bolt is going to strike me. And so I didn't want to have anything to do with God. And I got into metaphysics in my early 20s, and I learned about thought as creative, and I learned about affirmations, and I go like, ah, I got it made. I don't need God. I'll just do my affirmations, and I create this beautiful life for myself. You know, some judgments about my family and my parents, et cetera, who had not done that, apparently. You know, it's like, where have they been all these years? And so, so I started doing that, only to discover 
that it was a lot of work. It's a lot of work to dissect every thought and figuring out which perfect affirmation to use to change that around in my life. And at a certain point, I was just exhausted. You know, getting into metaphysics has its good sides because I felt that I, I had some say in my life, so it was really empowering, so in that sense it was good. But the fact that I left God out wasn't helpful. So I, at a, certain pound, at a certain point, found myself sleeping with the pigs. Not literally, but, you know, quite exhausted and, and barely knowing how to move forward. And I just had to surrender. And that's when I learned what the presence of God was, is. You know, that God is love, that God is peace and that that's innate in me, but that there is a greater force, whatever we want to call it. For a long time, I couldn't call it God. I just called it the universe. But that the universe was supporting me, and that, you know, that it was a matter of finding the balance. It's like when to surrender and when to do what I needed to do. So, in, you know, in Unity, we have the practices of praying and meditation, Right? It's like we have to touch base. We have to come home to ourselves literally on a daily basis. And once I started doing that, I started to journey back home. And, you know, I had heard it's like when we take one step towards God, God takes a thousand steps towards us. It was the father running towards his son. God comes running towards us so excited that we know who we are, that we even touched on it for a second, who we are, that we are that love. So that was the younger son. Now, the older son. Huh. Who of you have ever felt self-righteous? <laughs> right? It's like... <laughs> somebody hurts me, and I go like, man, I did it all right. I, you know, I had no part of that. They hurt me. I followed the rules. You know, okay, I'm willing to forgive them, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Say, but uh, don't. Don't give him a feast, please, because I'm, you know, I'm not that happy about it. <laughs> but what happens when we're in that self-righteous way of being? You know, I'm cut off from the divine as well. Because I forget the oneness. And sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes it's like even if it is not personal, to seeing what's happening out in the world, to remember that in that person that we go like, I can't even understand why you're doing this, to remember that still the divine is in there as well. The love and the peace are there as well. And that if I push against it, in a way where I'm disconnected, where I don't see the oneness anymore, then I don't have the joy in my life either. It's an all or nothing. 
you know, we're in it together. So when we're in our righteousness or when we're off in the far land, it's like, how do we come back? And there's one practice I've noticed that I really come to love, and that is blessing. So I forgot my glasses, which I'm going to pick up now. Thank you. So I want to give you the definition of blessing so that we're speaking about the same thing, right? So Catherine Ponder says, to bless means to bring forth good in a situation or personality. To bless means to bring forth good in a situation or personality, whether there seems any good to be brought forth or not. So regardless of what is going on, right, to bring it forth. But then Pierre Pradovant, who has a wonderful book, is called The, the Gentle Art of Blessings, he says, to bless is to acknowledge the omnipresent universal beauty hidden from material eyes. To bless is to acknowledge the omnipresent universal beauty hidden from material eyes. So when I bless, when I put these two together, you know, is to bless is really putting our attention on the true nature of a situation or the other person. And also of ourselves. Because when we're in self-judgment, you know, it's important we bless ourselves. We recognize our true nature. We recognize that that divine love is there. Right? So how does this translate in practical ways? So I, I can share some experiences. Um, years ago, when I first started actually in Church of Religious Science, uh, East Bay Church of Religious Science Reverend, uh, Eloise Oliver told, you know, had a sermon and she said at one point, she says, when you go to work, don't just go to work. You know, give something. Uplift the situation. She says, when you go to work, say to yourself, I am blessed and I'm a blessing. And it really stuck with me. Now, I have my own business and I have to go to clients and one day I kind of felt like I messed up with a client and I had to go there, so I was somewhat nervous. And I drove from Oakland to Marin, and the whole way, I was going like, okay, I'm blessed, I'm a blessing. I'm blessed, <laughs> I'm a blessing. And I can still see myself in front of the office door, ready to go in, really anchoring it in. I'm blessed, and I'm a blessing. And I walk in, and I start my work, and the owner of the business comes over, and he goes like, you're such a blessing. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> It was amazing. It was, it was an amazing confirmation of how it worked. But what I really did with that is that because I was repeating that, I moved into the highest part of myself, you know. I didn't come from fear when I walked in. I didn't come from self-judgment when I walked in. I stayed on that higher plane of knowing the truth. And it was super nice to get that confirmation, I can tell you, <laughs> you know. It's like, so it is also really important, like I said earlier, that we bless ourselves. You know, self-judgment, fear just really gets in the way of us being able to see what is out there or to receive the love that is out there. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I was, um, Reverend Kristen had asked me to co-facilitate um, the New Year's Eve service here. And I had spent time with a friend that afternoon, and she would come to the service. 
And, um, you know, she would come to the service, but we came in separate cars. So I came here, and I was looking for her to come in, and I didn't see her, and I didn't know what happened, and I'm going through the whole service wondering where she is. And so I felt a little bit stressed, and, and, you know, I was just wondering where she was. So then after the service, I open up the bookstore, I'm in the bookstore, and there she is, right in front of me. And I go like, uh, where have you been? And she says, I sat in front of you the whole time. <laughs> and John was there, and John says, like, yeah, did you see me? And I said, like, yeah, I did. He said, like, she was sitting right there. And I was so in my own whatever I was into that I didn't even see her. When we bless ourselves, we create space. And we can see again. And we can let the love in. You know, we're connected. We feel the oneness. If we think if somebody deserves it or not, it really doesn't matter. That's not up to us at all. What is up to us is to connect with that truth. You know? We bless, so we bless ourselves. And, and what I've learned to do is like because sometimes I don't like the thoughts that are going on in my head, or I don't like the feelings I have, but I've learned to bless those. So when I feel angry, now I say, I bless, my, I bless the peacefulness in my anger. And it seems like a contradiction, but it works. Because ultimately, the peacefulness is there. And what I notice is that I become the witness. I become the witness towards my anger, you know, in relation to my anger. And then I can respond to a situation instead of reacting. And I can see what is there. It's like I can see my friend sitting there instead of being so caught up with what's going on in my head. Right? I bless the joy in my sadness. You know, when I see that I have a lot of thoughts about going on about a person, you know, I feel wronged by what I notice is that ultimately what it comes down to is that I feel unsafe. And so I bless myself and my safety and I see everything calm down. So blessing is very powerful and it's for situations, but it's also... What can I say? The immaterial, you know, the, the material things, we can bless it because everything is an expression of the divine. It's really interesting to contemplate that. I always get so excited when I do. It's like the chairs you're sitting on is an expression of the divine, you know? The building we're in, you know, the clothes you're wearing. It's beautiful to think about it. And so last August, I just moved from Los Angeles to Walnut Creek. And, uh, and the circumstances in which I moved were quite stressful. And, but I was happy with the apartment that I had leased. And, but after a couple of weeks, I noticed when I walked into my apartment that something would happen in my body and I wouldn't feel good. So one night, I just sat down and I was like, okay, so what is, what is going on here? And what I realized is that the apartment, of course, still felt foreign. I had just moved here. But with the stress, how my nervous system started to interpret it is that it was my enemy. So the moment I would walk into my apartment, I could feel it. It's like my body would go like, oh, we have to be careful here. 
And I go like, well, that's not going to do it, right? It's like it's, the walls are not going to change. The apartment is not going to change. That's not where the separation happens. Where the separation happens is within me. And I've been reading Catherine Ponder, you know, for a number of years. I, I love her, and I love the stories in her books. And, and she talks about, you know, blessing the home. So that is what I started to do. I blessed the walls in their joy. You know, I blessed the stove in its prosperity. I blessed the bathtub, you know, in its comfort. Well, whatever I could come up with, but I really started to bless the space. And then what I noticed is that I became connected to my space. I started to feel safe in my space. You know, and as I take walks in the morning, I started to bless the shrubs and the ducks and the geese and the dogs and, you know, the people walking by. And cars would drive by and I go, I bless you in your safety. You know, people walk by, I bless you in your joy. I bless you in your divinity. You know, and it just became this beautiful way of being with my surroundings. And, you know, it's... David Spengler also has a book on blessing, and I think it's really beautiful what he says. He says, blessing is not a technique we perform, but a presence we embody. So it's not a technique, and it's also not something we give. It's, it's a presence we embody. It's a presence of recognizing the divine in everything, which is our true nature. It doesn't mean condoning behavior. It doesn't mean spiritually bypassing what is happening. But what it means is that we can act from that place of oneness. That we can act from love, which is very different than acting from feeling separate. You know, when we act from love, we can actually be supportive, no matter what is going on. He says, it's not an act we do to someone or something, but it is a relationship we form with them. So it's a relationship we form with the other person. It's a relationship we form with our surroundings. He says, it's a relationship we form with them that enables us all to be embraced in the presence of an unobstructed world. I love that, unobstructed world. It's a world where the facades are gone. It's like where the lies are gone, the lies of not knowing who we are. When we bless, when we are in relationship with each other, knowing each other's divinity, then we live in an unobstructed world, and then beautiful things can happen. And I want to share one more experience, because to me it was miraculous at the time. It still is, actually. It's like I, you know, I was at a spiritual center. I went there for a number of years, and almost from the beginning, when I came, there was one, pe one person with whom I had a lot of tension. And in the beginning, I didn't even quite know why that was so. And so that kept going, and it kept building, and it's not that she and I really talked, you know, but there was just this tension, so much so that... I would walk in and go like, oh my God, I just got the stink eye again. I don't even know what I did. You know, I just walked in. But I became obsessed with it. It was like, it was so 
on my mind. I couldn't let it go. So also then, you know, I took my walks in the morning, and what I did during my walks is that often I did my affirmations or contemplations or, you know, I did spiritual practice. I, I just love doing it that way. And so what I started to do is bless her every morning. I bless you with well-being. I wish you joy. I release you into great love. And I would do that, sometimes for the whole hour, sometimes for part of it. And for three months, there didn't seem to be much change, but it was my only place to go to, really, for me to feel a little better. And then one day, and, it was, and what amazes me is that it felt so subtle, because I just noticed it afterwards. It's like one day I went to the center, and I laughed, and I went like, there was no tension. There was no tension between she and I. We didn't talk anything out. Nothing else had happened. I just had blessed her and stayed with the practice of blessing and seeing her in the highest. And ever since then, you know, we had friendly conversation. We were good with each other. The tension never came back because that was another thing, right? You're like, uh, is it coming back next week? But it didn't. It truly didn't. So the power of blessing is just enormous. Recognizing the truth in an, of another person is so uplifting, not just for the other person, but for ourselves. It brings us back to our joy, who we are. You know, having the spirit flow through us is like so freely you know, so joyfully, that is what it is about, okay? So let's say our affirmation together. I bless the divine presence in myself and others, bringing more joy into my life experience. <laughs>